Hello and welcome to the APAC file, the joint bi-weekly podcast of Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty and the Wilson Center Focus on Pakistan in Afghanistan. I'm Mohammed Tahir, Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty's media manager here in Washington, D.C. Poor healthcare system, ongoing war and competing political interests, these are the signs that according to the U.S. watchdog that Afghanistan is likely facing COVID-19 crisis. Yet, as per the official data, there are only 18,000 people yes. who have tested positive and just about 300 fatalities as we speak. So the question is, what is the likely and realistic scenario? How it looks like on the ground and how the authorities are coping with this situation? To discuss all these, I'm joined by, uh, from Kabul, Dr. Ovid Kalamzai, member of the Afghan parliament, who is also a doctor by profession. Dr. Kalamzai is joined by, also from Kabul, Mahbuba Siraj, human rights activist, head of the Afghan Women's Skills Development Center, Ratib Nuri, chief editor of Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty's Afghanistan Service Radio Azadi, who is also joining us from Kabul. In Washington, D.C., Michael Kugelman, Senior South Asia Fellow and the Deputy Director of the Wilson Center's Asia Programs. Welcome on board and thank you, colleagues, for joining us with such a short notice. So speaking about the impact of COVID-19 in Afghanistan, as recent as this morning, one of our speakers dropped out after uh, testing positive. Perhaps it's human nature. When you see a certain number, it doesn't have as bad impact as some like this when the disaster hits right at your door. So we wish a quick recovery to our colleague and everyone else from this horrible uh, disease, but I'm also happy that you guys could join. So let's get into this. So the report I was referring to earlier is one month old and is coming from the U.S. Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction, which is also known as SIGAR, in which they say there are all signs, such as the weak healthcare system, wide spirit malnutrition, poor borders, massive internal displacement, a proximity uh, to Iran and Iran's decision to expel vulnerable Afghans uh, during the pandemic, ongoing conflict, and until recently, political distraction on the top. So the, the list is very long. So how does it look like on the ground? How badly is this thing hurting your country? The uh, pandemic in Afghanistan is... Uh is actually everybody else is it, it, it had a yeah. how shall I say a cycle completely opposite everybody else in the world. Mm-hmm. Everyone else has kind of started strong and then it kind of reached a peak and then it went down. In Afghanistan, it started weak, kept on going weak, and then now it's kind of reaching the peak. And now is really hurting a lot of people. And uh, there are many reasons for it. Uh, The the number one reason is the fact that people are ignorant in this country. We have a lot of ignorant people in every sense of the word. And the ignorant people, don't they did not even believe in this uh, virus or anything in the beginning. Because uh, like everything else that destroyed this country, this had also had some kind of a connection with Islam as far as they were concerned. And they were thinking that Islam is going to be saving them and they are not going to get sick. So nobody was really doing what they were supposed to, although the government uh, did put quarantine on people, especially in the month of Ramadan, uh, the quarantine worked. But after Ramadan, especially two, three days before Eid, everybody went absolutely berserk. They all went out and then everybody started shopping and getting close to each other. People were visiting each other. And strange enough, right away after the Eid, the number of the corona Actually, victims rose very much. The one thing that you should remember, and it's a fact, please do not believe any numbers that anybody Hmm. gives you. 
the government, cigar, whoever. Uh, there is not such a thing as, you know, finding out exactly how many people are actually have the, they do have the virus, how many people actually have, uh, they have been saved and how many people have actually died. Because now what they are doing, a lot of people are dying. I mean, I mean, I know people left and right, honestly, uh, especially the ones that they are a bit older, they are dying. And the sad thing is that because the young people of their families are looking after them, those young people are also dying. But right now they are not saying anything to anybody that it is from Corona. They just say these people died. Yeah. Um, so we lost a lot of doctors. I mean, I'm so sorry about that because, you know, for a poor country like Afghanistan, losing doctors is losing a lot more than a doctor because it's a whole investment of a country and of people of years and years of education for them to become a doctor. And then finally they do and then they all die. So we lost a lot of doctors. Mm. As far as the equipments are concerned, the lack of equipment, it's uh, actually a joke here. It really is. There are no equipments. Things are really chaotic. Mm. I mean, absolutely, completely. Okay. So that's why I am saying that please don't believe anything that anybody says mm. or, or anything like that. Okay. I, I mean, we live, we live in a society, I just want to give you an example, mm. that a gentleman from Kandahar, he found a cure apparently. Uh, there are some drops that he was giving to people. And the number of people that they were gathered around his clinic, hmm. you know, to, to see him, and the government actually stopped him because he refused to give the, the combination of what was his, his cure made of. And then, of course, in these people, they're all coming, you know, very close to each other. They're all coming, standing next to each other. Mm. So uh, God only knows how much more this, this virus has spread, you know, during these past three, four days that the people are gathered mm. around this uh, magic cure of this gentleman. Yeah, you know, so, that, that, so, that, that was very strange. Right? It, it was like this message was spreading like a fire on social media the other day. The, 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 people were getting, yeah, people are getting upset because you know, if I started questioning it, I mean, I don't know whether it was because as far as I'm concerned, you know, the whole world failed in this pandemic. Right. It's not only the, the poor countries, the whole mm. world failed. Mm. And we still don't know who really is behind all of this, right. honestly. Right. And if we have to ask questions or be, you know, cautious about all of this, uh, the people of the world have the right that we really do. And look at what's going on. We really don't know whether it was some kind of a hoax to kill all elderly people. Yeah. Mm. Was it some kind of a hoax to get? I don't know what it was to, to shift the uh, the balance of power in the world uh, what on earth was it but as always there is a certain number of people in certain countries in the world which is the third world and the poor people of the world are the ones that they are paying for it yeah Mah Mahabubi, lots of people are paying for this like I'm sitting here in the most developed country I mean, look at the cases that we are faced with it's just hitting everyone affecting everyone equally yeah. so I think Dr. Kalamze is back Dr. Kalamze do you hear me now i think he lost his connection again i think we don't have him uh hmm. i thought his contribution would be great as someone being in the parliament and also a doctor let's let's move on with ratev so ratev you as a journalist look into this from a different perspective what's your thought on this i mean with all these signs yet afghanistan is reporting only eighty thousand cases something is not adding up here where is this inconsistency is coming from 
I think uh, the biggest problem in Afghanistan, as Mr. Raj pointed out, it's poor health facilities in Afghanistan. And, uh, you know, a few days back, I think it was two days back, International Rescue Committee also raised concern about the lack of tests. You know, they had reported saying out of 20,000 tests that are taken on daily basis, around 2,000, 1,500, 2,000 are tested in the laboratories and the rest are remained. So I think uh, that says a lot. It actually contains around 90% of the patients who uh, are, are at least infected people. And, you know, the homopathic physician that Mahbuba Sarat talked about, if we guess the numbers from the people who go to him, for the past one week, he has at least distributed its own made medicine to almost over 100,000 people in yeah. Kabul, which is a big number. It means these 100,000 people were either infected or had signs. That's why they went to him and they they saw the drops because he went viral on social media and everyone believed that the three drops that he gave to everybody, they were doing all well. Even the people who came with oxygen and when they got the drop after one hour, apparently they were all fine and they went home on their own feet. So if we guess the numbers from these 100,000 people who got the drops in past one week from this homopathic physician, it says a lot. And you know, every neighborhood in Kabul and around the country and every neighborhood nowadays you see every day people are carrying coffins. They usually hide. They don't say that he or she was passed away because of coronavirus. They usually say he or she was sick. They don't say what kind of sickness. Uh, Ratav, I guess what you are saying also reminded me of news agenda of Radio Azadi today, in which I guess one report is about A, people do not report if they catch virus, and B, they bury their passed aways from COVID-19 with massive funerals. Yeah, that's true. Actually, we did a report on this today. You know, mm. Afghan people are not confessing, most of them, unfortunately. It started from the first itself because whoever was infected into the virus, they wouldn't report because it's a different culture, different people. So they have very close relations with everybody in their families. That's why they don't want to lose that relation. I mean, they don't lose it forever, but even they don't want to lose it temporarily. So that's why they really hide and they don't report. Nowadays, when you actually look at the Facebook, which is the main social media tool used in Kabul at least or in big cities of Afghanistan when you scroll down our app you can see many many plenty number of the cases of the people saying my dad passed away my mom passed away my aunt passed away but none of them actually say it was because of coronavirus one of my friends mother passed away yesterday hmm. he had written on Facebook that she was sick but when I called him she was actually infected and she was admitted to the hospital and but she passed away only because of coronavirus but he is an educated person. He works for international organization mm. in Kabul, but he himself hides the case. If a person, an educated one, hides it, then imagine about the people who are culturally so traditional and they are just sticking right. to their traditional rules. Right, right. Michael, perhaps you read this report that earlier I was referring to, the report from SIGAR. I guess that was also presented to Congress. Perhaps there were public testimony about this, which is often the case. But what were reasoning behind uh, this alarming report? Any specific example? I would later ask to expand on that to our guests from Kabul. Well, thank you, Mohammed. You know, I haven't actually read through it yet. I don't want to really get into it that much, and I would defer to our colleagues in Kabul to go into it more deeply. But um, 
You know, I could just speak as someone who can give a perspective from here in Washington. Um, you know, we've heard some very heartrending accounts of just how troubling the situation is in there in Afghanistan, as we can imagine. Hmm. And I think what could compound the problem is that, you know, typically when you have a global humanitarian emergency, like the coronavirus pandemic, one of the most deadly pandemics we've had in some time, you know, you expect that uh, particularly vulnerable countries like Afghanistan to, you know, receive some degree of organized uh, assistance from the international donor community. But, you know, the way the world functions these days, um, there really is no clear global efforts, uh, no global cooperation to provide assistance to those that need it the most. You know, the U.S. is not up for the task. China is not the U.S and China are feuding. And as a result, I think that Afghanistan, a country that, as you know, is so heavily dependent on foreign assistance for so many things, I don't think we'll be able to count on the type of foreign assistance to fight the coronavirus pandemic that it would in a different era. And of course, also, since this is a pandemic that's hit the developed world so hard, including the U.S., I think that the idea of the international donor community coming together to put doctors on the ground, provide a lot of money, medical supplies, we can't expect that to the degree that we may have at a different time. And final point, you know, here in Washington, of course, uh, when thinking about Afghanistan, ultimately comes back to the uh, to the war there and to the U.S. role there. You know, we all heard this report that the U.S. suspects that up to 50 percent of the Afghan yeah. security forces have secured the coronavirus, which is something that I believe has been rejected by the Afghan government. But I think that even if you have U.S. officials throwing around that that idea or that suggestion, that I think presents the specter of the U.S. using the coronavirus pandemic in Afghanistan as a pretext to accelerate withdrawal of forces, of, of U.S. forces. To me, I find it hard to believe that uh, all of a sudden you could make that prediction that half the ANSF have the, 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 uh, the virus. But again, even if people here are talking about that, I think that really has significant implications mm. for the U.S. military posture there and by extension for, for stability and, right. and so much more things in Afghanistan. Yeah. So regardless of whether it is 50% less or more, what's the view on the ground? Is it even a factor in local discussion, the level of penetration of coronavirus pandemic among the Afghan military? What, what the people and the authorities are talking about? You know, the, the, the thing is that uh, as far as our military is concerned, um, I know the U.S. is using that as a kind of, a, you know, leverage and say, well, all of the, the soldiers are sick, so let's get out of this country as fast as possible. But then for the Afghans, you know, we cannot really go on and, and believe in that and start announcing mm-hmm. it because we have some enemies that they are, are waiting to, to slaughter all of us. So, you know, it, it's it's like giving them an excuse to come to come up with a whole lot more of the... Uh, of power and and really and really uh, augment this war, you know, a lot more. Yeah, Mahuba, so, the reasoning reasoning why U.S. might be saying what they are saying, but the reasoning aside. Let's put the facts straight. So what is the your understanding, the understanding of local people about the size and scope of the penetration of this pandemic among the military? Is there any uh, discussion? No, not as, mu- not as much as what they are saying. And to tell you on the honest truth, I really haven't heard, you mm. know, something that that's because the poor guys, I do see them on the streets patrolling mm. and walking around and doing their duty. Mm. So, you know, and, and from the people that I know inside and they've talked about it, nobody has mentioned this. Mm. So, I mean, I don't, I don't go inside the army and find out exactly what is going on. But then, you know, I'm amongst the people, so right. there are things that I can hear, and there are things that people will say, and all of that. I really, I honestly have not heard this. Mm. But then again, you know, in Afghanistan.
understand the way things are happening, suddenly something really horrible happens and then everybody goes like, wow, you know, and always a certain number of people always knew about it. Ratib, what's, what's your thought on that? About the military forces, we haven't, it's not like we have asked, they have been... Uh... I mean, what I'm saying is like, I mean, this is report, I mean, it's just not in the US, it's published by lots of other publications, but Afghan authorities must have responded what they are saying in response to that. If it is not 50%, then what? I mean, is there any penetration like that into the military? Well, definitely there is. We have asked them for past few days, but mm. they are being uh, just ignoring. Mm. I think uh, we don't really have the numbers of the Afghan security forces infected in the virus. The latest they said, were, well, it's not very reliable, I think. It doesn't go beyond two dozens, which is very less. And, you right. know, with the precautions, with the poor health precautions we have among Afghan security forces, I think it could be quite high. We certainly don't have proper numbers. We We don't have the proper statics, but as you can see, in the streets of Kabul and around the country, they're, as Mahbubah Saraj said, they're patrolling with, with no proper um, health precautions. So I don't really know what to say about this because we don't really have a response from the Afghan government. You know, you know, that's the Afghan military side, I mean, which is, again, despite all the fault lines, they are more organized, more efficient than the enemy that they are fighting, which is Taliban. And speaking of Taliban, the other day there was a report by the Foreign Policy uh, magazine in Washington, D.C., that the, ta- the Taliban's leader might has contracted this. Uh, because of that, he might be gravely ill or maybe he passed away. So what's the news from the Taliban line? How much they are affected by this. As much as Afghan government doesn't release the numbers, you know, with the facilities we have in Kabul and around the country with the freedom of expression, but they're still keeping it quiet. Uh, the Taliban also does the same because when we contacted them after the foreign policy report came out, they rejected all the reports, but the sources close to the, the, the Taliban, they confirmed that there are some cases among the leadership of the Taliban. For example, Mullah Turabi, who was heading the prisoner's Commission of the Taliban and Quetta Council. He was infected, but then apparently he is recovered. And uh, about Mullah Hibatullah, the leader of the Taliban, they rejected the news, saying he was not infected at all. But the ones who are sitting in Doha, some of them were confirmed that they were infected. I, I should be clear that the sources who confirmed these cases, they were close to the Taliban. They weren't actively working among the Taliban right now. You know, it's, uh, it's not surprising what the Taliban said in, in response to the foreign policy magazine report. As we know, the death of the previous leader of the Taliban was denied for a long time. When it was revealed, we found out that he was already dead for a while. So let's go beyond Taliban and the military. Let's talk about the people. As, as you said earlier, uh, Mahbuba, that there is no really cure for this as we speak. So the only cure is precautions that people are advised to take. And some of those precautions are to avoid public gatherings, markets to remain closed and congregation in the mosques to be avoided. What's what's going on there in terms of those contributing factors? Well, you know, as, as I said, you know, kind of in the beginning, it worked pretty well, actually. Mm. The lockdown, you know, in the, even in the mosque, you know, for the, for the Friday prayers and, and all of that. But slowly, it kind of lost its, uh, it's very strange. Instead of becoming more and becoming more effective, it became less effective mm. is, uh, is what really happened. 
the markets, the you know clothing and things like that. Of course, you all of that is, is closed. You cannot find it. You know they are not open. But the the food supplies, you know, and the other supplies, uh, sanitary that is open, and people and medication, of course. So that people are getting those things. Uh, there are less traffic on the streets of Kabul, even mm. even now. But after the Eid, you know, just two days before Eid, everything kind of kind of went back to to that normal good old days. So, um, my, my, what what could be the possible reason that, behind that, Mahbuba? What could be behind it is a lack of trust, of? you know, to the of the people to what the government says. You know, people don't trust their government anymore. Whatever it comes from the from the places of authority, mm. the people of Afghanistan don't trust it anymore. But then at the same time, this other Kandori guide, he can go on with his medication and everybody will believe him. So, so you can see the shift. And this is something that is really damaging Afghanistan right now in every sense of the word. They, for example, they do, they do put the, the quarantine in the morning. They remove the quarantine in the afternoon. The, the right hand does not know what the left hand is doing. And when the orders are coming from above, they are not going you know, systematically the channels for them to be implemented. Whoever is there and who, whatever they feel and whatever kind of a connection they have to whomever, they decide and everything breaks down. Thanks, Michael. Well, let me, let me, Michael, let me bring you in here. And of course, it would have been great to have the doctor who was joining us from Kabul and also the fact that he's a member of the parliament. He would bring some government insight into the discussion. But so sorry that because of his uh, connection, he couldn't be with us. But uh, our experts from Kabul, Ratib and Mahbuba, they already provided lots of insight into what's happening and the causes behind them. So based on what we heard from our guests from Kabul, what is your thinking? What's going wrong here in Afghanistan? What's that the authorities are not getting in terms of their strategy to control uh, the coronavirus pandemic? Well, you know, I think that the uh, the key points have already been highlighted, that Afghanistan is a country that on an ordinary day, in ordinary circumstances, faces the very types of challenges that are exacerbating the challenges now with the pandemic, an overloaded and inefficient and dysfunctional health system, significant levels of poverty, uh, low education levels that um, constrain the ability to be aware of, of what's going on and how to uh, reduce the likelihood of infection, and then, of course, the conflict and all the that. So it really is hard to find silver linings in this regard, though actually that would be one question I'd, I'd throw back to our problem before we end, is that is, is there a silver line? I mean, we've talked about how troubling everything is, but yeah. is there... Are, are there some success stories that we can point to somewhere? Mm. I mean, do we know if there are, you know, say, any particularly uh, gifted um, officials or so, some type of health facility that's shown some degree of success by some mm. metrics? Mm. Yeah, that would be that would be interesting to hear. But yeah, yeah, I, I'm very concerned because Afghanistan has all of the you've got the perfect storm mm. of factors that just uh, make the likelihood of mass level infections very very high. And you know, we've been talking about the Taliban and the war and and all that. I'm not in any position to corroborate or reject these the speculation that the senior leadership of the Taliban has been infected and that the top leader could have died. Um, I don't know. But I think what that shows is that um, no one is immune, right? I mean, the rich, the uh, poor, terrorists, government officials, everyone is susceptible to the disease. And what's unfortunate is that you know, the UN Secretary General some weeks ago called on all non-state actors, all armed non-state actors to declare a, a truce uh, because of the pandemic. The Taliban 
of course, declared a truce, but it was for the Eid holiday, and it was only for a few days. The Taliban, I think, sort of a very interesting angle here. The Taliban has actually derived some propaganda value from the coronavirus because it's able to say, well, look, we're doing all these great things in areas we control to, um, you know, help people fend off against the disease. There were some images on social media that purported to show Taliban fighters wearing, having their AK-47 slung over their shoulders while at the same time wearing the PPE equipment giving lectures on how to protect yourself from from the virus. And unfortunately, that plays to this this idea that the Taliban is better at providing services and helping locals than the government is. So I I would be curious to hear if, I guess we'll be wrapping up fairly soon, what silver linings there could be, if any, that have come out of this. Are there any success stories that we can look to? Yeah, yeah. Or not. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a very good question. And I'm going to come to that in just in a bit. Um, First, let me recap the debate that as Afghanistan is uh, struggling with this crisis. So what what is the plan to curb the pandemic? What's working and what's not working, as Michael was saying? So what the future holds for the country? Let's continue the APAC file podcast talking about these and many other questions very shortly. First, let me recap the debate today on, on the podcast. I'm joined by Mahbuba Sirat, human rights activist, head of the Afghan Women's uh, Skills Development Center. Mahbuba is joining us from Kabul, alongside Ratib Nouri, chief editor of Radio Free Europe, the Liberties Afghanistan Service, Radio Azadi, also in Kabul. Michael Kugelman, senior South Asia fellow and the deputy director of the Wilson Center's Asia programs in Washington, D.C. I'm Mohammed Tahir, host of the APAC file and media manager for Radio Free Europe, the Liberty, also in Washington, D.C. And we are discussing quit in Afghanistan. Welcome come back, colleagues. So as, as Michael said, we need to be wrapping up the discussion very soon here. So before coming into the silver lining point, Ratib, does the Afghan government acknowledge that they have a crisis at hand? Yes, the Afghan government, they started controlling the, the virus in Afghanistan since late February, when it actually, we had one or two cases registered in Herat province. Hmm. And then they put lockdown on Kabul city. I mean, I think the Afghan government did its best, but the main problem actually but, but is do, of but, the people. But do they think they have a problem to, to handle here? I mean, there's a crisis to be handled. They do think that, yeah. The Just three days back, first vice president, Amrullah Saleh, in a video to the media, he said that they know that they're in the middle of problem. And according to the predictions of the national and international organizations about Afghanistan, they think coming two months will be the peak of the virus in Afghanistan. And apparently in these two coming months, the crisis will even be bigger. And he said then after that two months, the virus will probably start slowing down in Afghanistan, which is still not very clear. But he requested all the people to observe the recommendations of the health officials and keep social distancing and those, you know, the the general stuff that every country says nowadays. But the problem is, I think, mostly the problem refers to the people. The government, though we don't have a strong economy in the country, poverty is really a big problem. Security is a big problem. Poor health facilities are a problem. But I think overall government with it's less sources that they had. They managed to do something at some point, but the main Let's, problem started when people did not observe quarantine and lockdown and then they came out. It wasn't like all the poor people were coming out to work. It wasn't like that at all. I witnessed myself overall, you know, before Eid. People just came out to shop. They came out to shop for, for the Eid. They didn't really come out to work. 
it wasn't out of poverty it was out of you know lavish life i guess mm. you know this and is, that this is problem. Ratif, this is this is where the challenge comes in i mean i mean every country in the world sits sort of guideline but you know they can't afford stepping back and relax uh, expecting that those guidelines will be observed so i guess my question is what the authorities have been doing to enforce those guidelines well they actually you know they when they locked down Kabul city and other provinces they ordered police forces to use for and stop people from coming out. But I think, again, the government probably, they don't really have a managed plan, but I think they do have something on hand, like handling small stuff, like giving, you know, giving at least bread to the families who were in need. So they started those kind of programs. And then again, the government now insists that they will probably prepare other packages of help to the people, direct help, whether it's money or, or edible stuff. But again, uh, I will come to the first point. I think everything depends on the people. If they are not literate enough and if they are not educated enough about the rules and regulations, that's when they break all the rules and regulations. They don't care about a lot of things. And now people have come to know that it's a big problem. And the government knows that the crisis have happened now and they have to handle it. And it will be even bigger in two, in coming two months. So I think everybody's panicking despite this, the political problem that they have here in Afghanistan okay. and other problems. I think everybody, including the government, is panicking right now. Mm-hmm. Mahbuba, I know you are not a fan of what the authorities have been doing about this, but is, there must be something they have done right. No, it's not. It's, the, the question is not whether I'm a fan of the authorities or mm. not, but I, I do I do see, you know, the possibilities of what can be mm. done and what is not done. So that always, for me, it's it's. Uh, so, I really feel bad about it. Not so only in Afghanistan, everywhere in the world. Yeah, so, in let's States, about, so, so let's talk but about what they have done right. But in Afghanistan, yeah, but in Afghanistan, what you have actually is, which is a silver lining that, you know, Michael wanted to mm. know. To me, the, the silver lining is the resilience of the people. We have Afghanistan are such a resilient people. They really are. And I have a feeling that no matter what, with all of the difficulties, with everything that is happening, with all of the ignorance, where there is no medication, no doctors, uh, and, and, and no information, you know, that is given to them properly, these people will, will, will come out of it. You know, they are they are pretty resilient. You know, they have done that for, I guess, for the past 40 years of a war that has been, been pounded on their heads, and they, and they lived with it. So this is not, this is a reality of, of a bunch of people who they really are. And in times like this, it helps them. And psychologically, this disease, as much as, you know, physically, we have to be ready for it, but psychologically, we have to be ready for it also. And the people of Afghanistan have that. And I hope that the government puts together a few other things, maybe, and amongst them will be a really big information campaign, mm. you know, to really, really go across. And it's not, it's not something very expensive. It's not something besides people are curing themselves with the with the medication and the food that they get, you know, lemons and, and ginger and salt and hot water and God knows what. At the same time, you know, the world doesn't have a cure for it either. So as long as there is information given to them that they should keep the distances, that's the one thing that is really hurting these people a lot. And they should keep the distance and put their masks on and just go on about their lives. Lives, you know, we are going to we are going to come out of it. Hopefully, hopefully, 
or we won't. So, but at this point, there, to me, the silver lining is really, is really the resilience of the people. Uh, Michael, let me bring you in here. You look into this from a different perspective as someone who is in America, which is also facing huge problem due to pandemic. So, what's the path for Ashraf Ghani's administration to lead his country out of this pandemic? I mean, it looks like it was already serious, but it's getting further serious. I mean, there has to be a way out. What is that? Well, yeah, there's no easy solution for this, for sure. Uh, for any government, particularly one that uh, like Afghanistan's, which is already so encumbered by dysfunction and corruption and so many other things. Hmm. But you know, look, I mean, the ideally the thing to do is to lock down to the extent that you can. And then when there are indications that the curve, so to speak, is starting to flatten, that's when you start slowly opening things up. But, you know, one problem, what we've seen in some countries, including, I should say, Pakistan, you know, you've seen governments that appear to be reopening too soon. And they're using a very reasonable justification that, uh, you know, we're a poor country, we can't afford to keep people from going to work. But that's an argument that works best when you're already starting to see some indications that the social distancing is working and that the, um, you know, the curve is starting to flatten. You know, in Afghanistan, I'm not sure if things have gotten to the point yet where we even know if when the, the curve may, may flatten. But in a country like Afghanistan, even if you try to enforce this idea of physical distancing, it's very hard to do. People need to work. You know, you look at, unfortunately, one of the most profitable industries in Afghanistan, that being the, the drug trade. You know, many, many accounts of large numbers of poppy farmers that are out there in large groups can in, continuing to work because they need the money. They make a lot of money off the poppy trade. And of course, you may have the Taliban there that's forcing them to do it. Taliban makes a lot of money off the drug trade. And so it's such a complex thing. And so it's very, your, to your question, Mohammed, it's, it's a, a very difficult one to answer. I take heart in the comments that we heard earlier about the resilience of the Afghan people. I certainly agree with that. The problem is that sometimes resilience tends to be used as a substitution for complacency. People manage to take, you know, keep a, a stiff upper lip and move forward, but they don't actually try to go further than that and to push for the greater changes that need to be made. And I don't want to be trying to dictate to how, how the Afghan people should be acting. Uh, they are tremendously brave, tremendously resilient. But unfortunately, I think that resilience has its limits, and particularly in a case like this, when you have such a complex, multifaceted emergency yeah. uh, in Afghanistan. And the same applies elsewhere, too. Yes. Speaking of the resilience, yes. I mean, we are now we are just talking about Kabul, I guess. Then there is a whole world beyond Kabul. How regions have been coping with this situation? What has been the impact of this crisis into regions and the way they are dealing with it? Do you mean by regions within Afghanistan, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, okay, provinces, yeah, yeah. provinces and like other cities and towns and countryside. Well, the things that I was saying for the past few minutes, I wasn't only focusing on Kabul. Well, I will make examples from Kabul because I live in Kabul and I work in Kabul. But, you know, it started from Herat, which is a western province in Afghanistan. Mm. And Herat has been in lockdown since then. And I think in few places where the pandemic has grown up, like in Kandahar, in Nangarhar in eastern Afghanistan and in Mazar and in Kabul, these four or five big cities, which definitely have most of the population population in them, these places have actually been coping with it as equally as Kabul. And government also mainly focuses on these places. But provinces which are in remote controlled areas, they are not really in the focus of the government. Mostly government focuses in Kabul, on Mazar and on Kandahar Jalalabad and the cities that I earlier mentioned. I have traveled to some of them as part of the work not recently. I think in Mazar where I was recently a few days back 
people are not taking it serious and uh, in Kabul at least people are aware and it depends on the on how much of awareness you give to the people in Afghanistan i think people in mazar don't take it serious at all because even when you walk in the city you can actually feel the vibe and when you talk to them they don't believe in it and they think it's just a propaganda or it's just a conspiracy theory by china or westerners yeah. so that's what they believe uh, for example in kabul at least you see 5 out of 10 wearing masks but in mazar you don't see one out of 10 actually and uh, places like badakhshan and other places it's the same and the kits actually the kits that are distributed in the provinces they're not equally distributed in some provinces uh, even in herat which is the hot spot for the virus government is actually not able to provide the hospitals with the i mean the laboratories with the kits that is also a problem in kabul i think now the virus that's on rise government also is mainly focusing on kabul when you go to the hospitals now the you know the hospitals that are dedicated to this covid-19 the testing process is now much easier than earlier it used to be because now when you go when you tell them that you have symptoms they just send you for a test earlier it was a problem and i think that is also because after people or the government broke down the lockdown so then the health ministry warned a lot people and the government but then people really don't care about the lockdown and about the quarantine and they about social distancing and those kind of things i think the number of people also going to the hospitals here are not growing because now they think it's out of control and everybody who is infected with the virus they just stay home they don't go for a test mm. at least i know a lot of my colleagues they don't go for test when they have the symptoms they just stay home they quarantine themselves they take care of themselves they mostly rely on homeopathic kind of treatments okay um we need to wrap up the discussion very quickly just a final point maybe mahbubu i can start with you given that this thing has reached to the point where it is very serious um, but not everyone is taking it serious as uh, ratib was saying especially in the example of mazar sharif and some other places in the meantime cases are rising so where our should be mahbuba to determine where the country is headed with this going forward we are, we are looking mainly at uh, you know at the effect of it on the families on women and on children you know how they are doing especially women that are they don't have a male member in the family and they are the ones that they are looking after their families and there's quite a lot of those you know a lot of these women that they are widows or they don't have a male member so we are looking you know at them and see how they are doing mainly as far as you know everyday life is concerned uh, as the group of women uh, in Afghanistan we are very much looking at the government to see what kind of actions the government is going to be taking we are really watching them closely and going after them and trying to have meetings and talk to them and trying to convince them that you know they really have to start the wheel turning so in order to to make this country you know to do whatever it needs to be done properly um, as far as giving orders as far as uh, putting a system in place because the system is actually doesn't exist or is going completely you know or is uh, being destroyed and also the other thing that we are very much looking is the uh, peace talks you know with the Taliban 
because you know at the same time we cannot separate these things honestly we cannot if we still have every single day people in this country that are dying because of the you know the bombs that they are going off everywhere and nothing is happening as far as the peace talks are concerned and nothing is happening as far as where we are you know basically in the basics of the needs of this country then what is it we are just putting a band-aid over a big huge uh, cut in the body and we're just trying to fix it with a band-aid Mm-hmm. So that's not going to get done. So we are we are watching everywhere, right. and um, and then and then you know we we are we of course not having the proper support of the world because the world is really yeah. as uh, as the gentleman said is that the world is involved with this pandemic. It's right. not only in Afghanistan, right. Right. so it's everywhere. So they are doing their own thing and they yeah. have their own problems right. to deal right. with. Oh. Yeah. But then at, at the same time, we were hoping, you know, that or we are still are hoping that the world will put their hands together and try to pull the least fortunate ones out of this whole thing, like the way the European countries are helping right now. You know, it's like uh, we have to do that. We have to take each other's hands and try to come out of this. Because honestly, it's such an unprecedented thing, you know, that has happened in the world. Uh, the 1918, you know, the uh, Spanish uh, flu, and now this, you know, there is no comparison even with that, you know, killing so many people at that time. But, uh, you know, but this is this is really bad. So we are we are hoping. We don't want to lose hope. And we are watching, you know, as the, as the women of the civil society, that I am one of them, mm-hmm. and an activist that I'm also one of them have to do. We are extremely watchful mm. with our government, with the world, what is going on. Right. And um and okay. at the end of the day, you know, if we can if we can let somebody know what is happening, we will. If we if we cannot, we still are watching. Okay, great. And and, and we, are, we are going to raise our voice and mm-hmm. make the world pay attention to great. us and see Terrific. what happens. Terrific. Thank you very much. Okay, very brief points from uh, Michael and Ratab. Michael, let's start with you and then Ratab. I mean, where your eyes will be going forward. Then the best case scenario, Afghanistan is coming out of this. You say the best case scenario? Yes, <laughs> I like how you always try to end on a high note, uh, on an optimistic note, Mohammed. It has, it has been, it has been, uh, it's a depressing <laughs> discussion. <laughs> right, we talk about issues that don't lend themselves to silver linings, but right. uh, at any rate, no, I think the best case scenario is that you could hope that some of the types of potential mit- uh, mitigating factors, like the fact that you have a, a very young population in Afghanistan, could minimize the fatality rate, you know, something like that. The fact that, um, you know, the authorities in Kabul are at least claiming to be uh, to be on it, at least rhetorically, and, you know, perhaps warmer weather coming. Now, none of these factors have been medically proven to actually keep the, the, the virus at bay, but for me, that's the best case scenario. So, and that's not a very plausible one. So unfortunately, you know, I'm just really hoping beyond hope that uh, some potential factors that haven't been medically proven can keep things from getting pretty bad in Afghanistan. So I think we we could only hope that um, it doesn't get as bad as it could be. And that maybe in time, as the West starts to recover, as the U.S. starts to recover, there will be mobilizations to get more assistance, more doctors, more supplies, more money to Afghanistan uh, beyond the immediate term. Mm-hmm. Ratib, uh, where your eyes will be, especially in terms of the, is there any any hope for Afghanistan? Well, yeah, the best scenario, as you said, uh, though it sounds like a joke, but still, you know, I would probably hope that the government still takes some steps. Mm-hmm. For example, uh, still locking down some cities, mm-hmm. at least two cities of Kabul mm-hmm. and uh, and Herat, and then uh, international community probably stepping in. And then um, after that, maybe after two months, as they say, as they predict, 
mm. of the peak of the virus mm. maybe probably we could control it and go down and reopen our colleges our mm. schools and and probably look forward to it so mm. that would be the best scenario okay but the worst the worst one again you know the government not taking proper steps and because of that the virus continuing to improve for the next year and getting fatalities from afghans yeah the the concern of second wave is everywhere let's hope that this thing will be over very soon as lots of people are expecting with the change in weather might be uh, one of the factors helping to yeah uh, and, and as michael said i'll say shortly that fortunately maximum of the afghan population is young so that's a plus point right right terrific okay thank you very much ratib nuri chief editor of radio free or free the liberties afghanistan service radio azadi in kabul also big thanks to mahbuba siraj human rights activist head of the afghan women skills development center uh, mahbuba was also joining us from kabul and michael kugelman senior south asia fellow and the deputy director of the wilson center's asia programs in washington dc thank you very much colleagues for joining us and this is it from me mohammed tahir radio free or free the liberties media manager and host of the APAC file, a joint podcast series of Radio Free Europe Radio Liberty and the Wilson Center. Please join us in two weeks. Until then, bye-bye.